Two weeks ago, to the day I set out on a magical, mystical journey to summarize every single class in D&D 5th edition, and by golly, I am here today to finish said journey. That's right, today we are discussing the priest and mage classes for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Bardic Inquisition. I'm your host, Vince. And before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to first give a quick shout-out to all of our fantastic supporters on Patreon. So thank you very much, those of you who donate. If you would like to get in on this action, feel free to go to patreon.com slash bardic inquisition and for just a few dollars a month, you can help make a difference on this show and keep us alive, keep us growing, and keep us going. And with that out of the way, let's get started. So at this point, you might be asking yourself, what exactly is a priest? Because it's certainly not a class, right? And you would be right, it's not a class. It is, in fact, a group of classes. Consisting of the cleric, the druid, and the paladin, Wizards defines priests as stewards of divine or primal magic, focusing on healing, utility, and defense. On top of that, in the newest UA documents from Wizards of the Coast for the appropriate classes, Wizards clearly defines these classes with a special ability known as Channel Divinity, or in the case of the Druid, Channel Nature. And this is really great because I feel like it really encompasses that feeling of a class devoted to some sort of higher power that occasionally calls upon it whenever they need assistance in their life or in their journey. So, cool. That's what a priest is. Now let's get into the specific classes. And we're going to go ahead and start off with one of my personal favorites, the cleric. With the cleric, you really want a high wisdom score, and then a decent constitution and possibly a decent dexterity depending on how heavily armored you plan to be. And this is actually very important to think about because some subclasses, which you pick at level 1, at least for the time being, come with heavy armor, while others do not. And the same can be said about martial weapons versus only having access to simple weapons. But what makes the cleric really different? Well, for starters, they're gods and their connection to the gods. And on top of that, the cleric spell list. The Cleric is one of two classes that gains access to what we now know as the Divine Spell List. And on this spell list are a number of excellent support spells, as well as some good damage spells, and quite frankly, some of the best spells in the game. For example, Spiritual Weapon. This spell lets you summon a floating weapon and attack with it every turn without requiring concentration. And then, of course, for another example, you have the very well-known Spirit Guardians, which is, let's be honest, a little busted. 
So yeah, you might argue that the cleric has access to a lot of really good spells. And not only that, but they also get to have a large number of spells that are prepared. Because each of their subclasses come with a list of about two spells per level from first to fifth level spells that they always have prepared and it doesn't count against the number of spells they can prepare every day. And on top of that, yes, I said prepared casters, meaning if a cleric has a spell that they don't like, they could always just prepare a different spell the next day. Now, aside from spellcasting and channel divinity, the cleric really doesn't get all that much in its base class. That being said, however, they get like six subclasses in the player's handbook alone. In fact, let's go over those subclasses right now. The first subclass, or Divine Domain, is called the Knowledge Domain. This domain comes with some pretty cool spells like Identify, Suggestion, or Arcane Eye, but it also grants you some skill proficiencies and lets you even use your channel divinity to gain even more skill or even tool proficiencies for about 10 minutes. Oh, and on top of that, starting at level 6, you can actually read people's thoughts. Next up is the Life Domain. And this is the domain that most people think of as the most cleric, cleric domain. And that's because it's largely centered around healing. And you can find some pretty cool spells on this list, like Beacon of Hope, Revivify, and even Raise Dead. As for the abilities though, one lets you heal for more, one lets you heal with your channel divinity, and one lets you heal yourself when you heal your friends. So yeah, you can kind of see a pattern here. Do you praise the sun? Because if you do, the light domain has you covered. The light domain comes with some pretty cool spells like burning hands, flaming sphere, and fireball. And it lets you use the power of the sun to blind your enemies. And the channel divinity that you get kind of reminds me of moonfire and lets you burn your enemies with, you guessed it, the power of the sun. Speaking of the sun, the nature domain actually comes with some pretty cool spells itself. For example, dominate beast, insect plague, or even plant growth. On top of that, you can also use your channel divinity to charm plants and animals, and later you can grant resistances to elemental damage. But we're not out of the elements yet because next is the tempest domain. This domain has you specializing in lightning and thunder, with spells like Thunder Wave, Call Lightning, and Ice Storm. The ability that you get at first level kind of gives you a hellish rebuke, but with lightning or thunder damage. The channel divinity lets you do max damage with thunder or lightning damage spells. And then the ability that you get at sixth level adds a knockback effect to those same spells. Moving away from the nature-focused domains. Next up, we have the Trickery Domain. This one gives you spells like Blink, Polymorph, and Dominate Person. On top of that, you can make your friends more stealthy, use your channel divinity to make shadow clones of yourself, and at 6th level you can even use your channel divinity to disappear entirely. Oh, remember how I said there were 6 subclasses for the cleric in the player's handbook? I was wrong, there are 7. The 7th domain in the player's handbook is called the War Domain. This domain gets you cool spells like, remember the earlier ones we mentioned? Spiritual Weapon and Spirit Guardians? Well, on top of that, you also get cool stuff like Hold Monster. Your first level ability lets you attack twice per turn, a number of times equal to your Wisdom mod, and you get Channel Divinity that lets you add plus 10 to any attack rolls you make, 
and later you can actually give that same boost to your friends. All in all, I would say that any subclass that you pick with the cleric is probably going to be a good one, and honestly, if you're playing a cleric, your party is probably just grateful to have you around. But let's talk about the cleric's nature-loving cousin, the druid. Like the cleric, if you are playing a druid, you will want a high wisdom score, followed by a medium, dexterity, and or constitution score. Also like the cleric, the druid gains access to a large number of spells, but this time from a list that we refer to as the primal spell list. That being said, the main feature that differentiates the druid from every other class, especially every other priest class, is their wild shape ability. And in the latest UA, this works a little bit different, but right now in 5th edition, the way that wild shape works is that starting at 2nd level, you can transform into any beast up to a certain CR. Initially, you have some limitations like no swim speed or no flying speed, but these eventually go away. And while I would argue that the cleric's spell list is more powerful than the druid's spell list, I would also argue that the druid's ability to wild shape gives them a bit more in terms of flexibility than the cleric. Moving on to subclasses, or in this case, druid circles, the druid actually only gets two, but that's okay because one of them has a lot of different choices within it. In fact, that's the one we're going to talk about first, the circle of the land. Circle of the Land has you choose an environment out of Arctic, Coastal, Desert, Forest, Grassland, Mountain, Swamp, or Underdark. And it grants you access to different spells based on whichever environment you choose. For example, with Arctic, you'll eventually get Cone of Cold. With Desert, you'll get Hallucinatory Terrain. Mountain gives you Stone Shape, and Swamp gives you Stinking Cloud. And this is just to name a few examples. As for the other druid circle, next up we have the Circle of the Moon. This is probably most druid players' favorite circle. And the reason for this is that it makes your wild shape a whole heck of a lot better. For one, you can wild shape as a bonus action. On top of that, you can also wild shape into beasts that are a higher CR. And if that wasn't enough, not only can you heal yourself while you're in wild shape, but your attacks in wild shape are considered magical for the sake of overcoming resistances and immunities. But let's move on to the last priest class, and that's the Paladin. The Paladin, much like the Ranger, is kind of a hybrid of a warrior class and a caster class. Because while they do gain access to spells, not only do they not gain them as fast as a normal spellcaster, but like the ranger, they are capped at 5th level. But make no mistake, the paladin is not just a divine version of a ranger. In fact, one look at a paladin versus a ranger will tell you that because, first off, paladins wear heavy armor. Rangers do not. But I think, honestly, the most important difference is the Paladin's class feature, and that's Divine Smite. Divine Smite basically lets you take any spell slots that you have and use it to add in a bunch of damage to your melee attacks. And this is especially deadly when it's combined with critical hits as it just lets you pour tons and tons of dice into one single swing. And in the right build, this can be devastating. But before I get too ahead of myself, let's talk about stat priority. 
A good paladin wants some amount of strength, some amount of charisma, and no small amount of constitution. In fact, if you want to multiclass into or out of paladin, you have to have at least a 13 in strength and charisma. Why charisma, you ask? Well, that's the ability that the paladin uses to cast their spells. Speaking of spellcasting, what all does the paladin get? Starting at level 1, you get Divine Sense, letting you basically track fiends, celestials, and undead. But on top of that, you also get an ability called Lay on Hands, which gives you a pool of health that you can use to disperse amongst your allies whenever they are in need of healing. At second level, you get a fighting style, just like any good warrior class, and you also get your spellcasting at second level, and Divine Smite. Of course, you'll also get extra attack at fifth level, but in addition, as you level up, you will eventually gain some auras, the first of which is Aura of Protection. Aura of Protection basically says that whenever you or an ally within 10 feet of you has to make a saving throw, they get a bonus equal to your Charisma modifier. And eventually this changes to 30 feet, and most auras work similarly, just with different effects. As for your subclasses, the Player's Handbook gives you three different oaths that you can swear. The first oath is the Oath of Devotion. These knights devote themselves to ideals, such as justice and honor. They gain access to spells like Sanctuary, Beacon of Hope, and Zone of Truth. They gain two channel divinities, one of which lets them turn their weapon into a magic weapon, specifically a plus one magic weapon, and the other one is a turn undead that can also target fiends. And the aura that you gain at 7th level, Aura of Devotion, makes you and your friends very difficult to charm. Next up is the Oath of the Ancients. These knights, also known as Green Knights or Fey Knights, swear their allegiance to nature itself rather than lofty ideals. This oath grants them spells like Moonbeam, Misty Step, and Plant Growth. Just like Oath of Devotion, you gain two channel nature abilities. The first one has Spectral Vines spring out of the ground and restrain a target if they don't make a strength or a dex save. And the second ability is called Turn the Faithless and works almost like Turn the Unholy, except instead of undead, you get to target Fey or Fiends. The aura you get from this oath gives you and your friends resistance to damage from spells. And finally, we have the Oath of Vengeance. These paladins are basically dead set on punishing wrongdoers by any means necessary. Think of them like Batman, but with no rule about guns. This oath gives you spells like Hunter's Mark, Hold Person, and Misty Step. They also have two channel divinities, the first of which is Abjure Enemy. This channel divinity attempts to frighten one enemy and stop them dead in their tracks, setting their speed to zero. The second option is called Vow of Enmity, and allows you to target one creature and gain advantage on all attack rolls against that creature for one minute, or until it dies. Unlike the other two oaths, though, you don't get an aura at 7th level. Instead, you get an ability called Relentless Avenger. This basically just says that if you make an attack of opportunity, you can then move half of your speed using the same reaction. Man, talk about aggressive. But you know what's not aggressive? The mage classes. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. You'll see what I mean in a second. Let's talk about the mage classes.
the mages. Arcane casters. You love them, you know them, except what are the differences between, say, a sorcerer, a wizard, and a warlock? Well, I'm about to go over that. But first off, let's define what a mage is on the surface. Wizards defines them as adepts of arcane magic, focusing on utility and destruction. And quite frankly, yeah, that checks out. I would say that out of every class in D&D, these three are the classes that are least likely to actually ever swing their weapons. I would also say that out of all the D&D classes, these are the three that need the most explanation in terms of telling a new player how they are different. I mean, for starters, they all use the arcane spell list, and it doesn't help that a lot of popular fiction kind of uses those words interchangeably. So, let's start off with the Sorcerer. So, you know how at the beginning of the Harry Potter series, Hagrid tells Harry that he is, in fact, a wizard? Well, according to D&D standards, that is a lie. Harry Potter is a Sorcerer. And any good D&D player will tell you that it's because Sorcerers do not learn magic. It is something that they are born with. Something that comes naturally. This is evident by the Sorcerer's subclasses known as Sorceress Origins, and these they get at level 1. Now, when building a Sorcerer, it's important that they have a high Charisma, as that is their spellcasting ability. Aside from that, like many other spellcasters, I would make sure that you have a decent Dexterity and Constitution. Okay, cool. So, what does the Sorcerer get? What makes them special? Well, unlike Wizard and Warlock, the Sorcerer gets something called Sorcery Points, that they can spend one of two ways. The first way is getting spell slots back. But the second way, and I would argue far more interesting way, is by using metamagic. Metamagic is basically an ability that lets you kind of shape your spells in different ways. For example, the subtle spell metamagic lets you cast a spell without using any verbal or somatic components. Quickened spell lets you cast a spell with the timing of one action as a bonus action instead. And then of course there's one of my personal favorites, careful spell. To put it simply, this metamagic lets you partially save your friends from some of your area of effect spells by letting them succeed on the save. But all that aside, let's move on to the subclasses, or Sorceress Origins. And the Player's Handbook only comes with two. The first of these is Draconic Bloodline. Basically, you have dragon blood somewhere in your background. Starting off, you choose a type of dragon that your bloodline is associated with. Let's use White Dragon, for example. Well, right off the bat, regardless of which color you chose, you still get Dragon Scales at level 1. That makes your AC basically 13 plus your Dexterity modifier, which is pretty good for a caster. And remember how we chose White Dragon as our Draconic Ancestry? Well, starting at level 6, if you cast any spells of the related element, for example with White Dragon it's cold, if you cast any spells that do cold damage, you get to add your Charisma modifier to the damage of the spell. Okay, cool, but what about that other subclass? Well, the other subclass you get is Wild Magic. Wild Magic comes with a feature called Wild Magic Surge. This basically says that any time after you cast a spell of first level or higher, your DM can have you roll a d20. And if you get a 1, you have a Wild Magic Surge happen. 
And if this happens, you roll a d100 on the wild magic surge table and get a random thing. Whatever that happens to be. There's a lot of crazy options, and quite frankly, I am not going to be going over all of them. Just to give a couple of examples, though, um, you turn into a potted plant until the start of your next turn. Or how about you cast fly on a random creature within 60 feet of you? Yeah, that's pretty random. You also get an ability at first level called Tides of Chaos. This ability lets you give yourself advantage on any attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. You can only do this once per long rest, that is, unless your DM decides to have you roll on the wild magic table, in which case this resets. But now let's talk about the Warlock. Warlocks are kinda weird. At first blush, they look a lot like the Sorcerer. You still want Charisma as high as you can get it, and then you want a medium to high-ish Dexterity and Constitution score. And on top of that, you also get your subclass at level 1. But instead of magic being something that you are born with or have innately, you get your magic from some otherworldly patron. But that's not really the weird part. The weird part is your spellcasting. You see, a warlock doesn't really have traditional spellcasting. Instead, they have something called pact magic. While other classes get several spell slots, you only get one at level one, and you never get more than four. On top of that, the spell slots that you have are capped at fifth level. The trade-off here, though, is that you reset your spell slots whenever you finish a short rest, and whenever you cast a spell, it's always at the highest level of spell that you can cast. Pretty weird, right? Oh, don't worry, it gets weirder. Unlike other classes that automatically get spells added to their spells known list based on whatever subclass they choose, you get to have a list of spells that are potentially on your spells known list if you choose them. And if that's not weird enough, you also get something called Eldritch Invocations, which is a lot like the Sorcerer's metamagic. Some examples of these are things like, you can cast Disguise Self at will. When you hit a creature with your Eldritch Blast, you can push it up to 10 feet away from you. Or you can read all writing. Yeah, Warlock's pretty strange. Oh, I should also mention that you can get something called a Pact Boon, which either gives you a familiar, a special magical weapon, or extra cantrips, based on whichever you want. But let's talk about those subclasses, or otherworldly patrons. First up is the Archfey. Spellwise, the Archfey gives you options like Sleep, Dominate Beast, Dominate Person, and Calm Emotions. It also gives you a first level ability called Fey Presence. This just lets you charm or frighten a group of enemies that are close to you. And later on, it gives you an ability called Misty Escape, which lets you turn invisible and teleport 60 feet away. Next up is the Fiend. Spellwise, this gives you options like Command, Fireball, or Flame Strike. At first level, you gain Dark One's Blessing, which gives you temporary hit points whenever you kill an enemy. And then at sixth level, you gain an ability called Dark One's Own Luck, which lets you add a d10 to an ability check or a saving throw. And you can do this once per short rest. And finally, we have the Great Old One. This patron gives you spell options like Dissonant Whispers, Evard's Black Tentacles, and of course, Phantasmal Force. In addition, you have something called Awakened Mind, which gives you 30 feet of telepathy. 
And at 6th level, you gain something called Entropic Ward, which basically lets you give an enemy disadvantage and then yourself advantage against that same enemy. But that is the Warlock in a nutshell. Let's go ahead and move on to the final class, and that is the Wizard. So you know how I told you that Harry Potter is a sorcerer? Hermione Granger is the wizard. The wizard, unlike all other classes, besides Artificer, wants to have a high intelligence. And beyond that, a decent dexterity and or constitution score. But the thing that makes the wizard special is their spellbook. Starting out, a wizard has six spells in their spellbook, and every time they level up, they can add two more. Sounds pretty simple, right? Well, it's not quite that simple, because wizards have the ability to gain spells in a way that no other class has, by finding spell scrolls. While other classes might be able to find and use spell scrolls, only a wizard can take those spell scrolls and transfer the spells over to their spellbook. But aside from that, the base class of the wizard is fairly straightforward. But let's talk about subclasses. In the case of the wizard, these are called Arcane Traditions, and they have eight in the player's handbook. For starters, each of these Arcane Traditions are named after a school of magic, and they all have the ability to have that school of magic's time and money cost to copy spells over to your spellbook reduced by half. Let's start with Abjuration. This school of magic gives you something called an Arcane Ward whenever you cast an Abjuration spell, now you can only have one of these active at a time, but the ward protects you from some damage by absorbing it, and later on can do the same thing for your friends. Next up is the School of Conjuration. This school lets you conjure inanimate objects to your hands, and later on lets you swap places with a willing ally within 30 feet of you. As for the School of Divination, you at second level get an ability called Portent. This basically lets you roll 2d20s and save the results for later, and you can use these results on yourself or another creature that you can see. Later on, you'll gain a skill called Expert Divination, which lets you, whenever you cast a divination spell, regain a spell slot of a lower level. The School of Enchantment gives you an ability called Hypnotic Gaze, which basically lets you charm a creature within 5 feet of you. That is, unless they fail a Wisdom save and later on it becomes possible to divert attacks potentially in the same manner. The School of Evocation lets you completely protect some of your friends from your area of effect spells, and later on still has enemies taking half damage even if they make the save on your cantrip. The School of Illusion gives you the Minor Illusion cantrip if you don't have it already, and lets you create both a sound and an image at the same time using that cantrip. Later on, starting at level 6, you can use your action to change the nature of an illusion spell that you've already cast. The School of Necromancy lets you regain hit points whenever you kill an enemy, and starting at level 6 gives you Animate Dead if you don't have it already, and lets you raise two skeletons or zombies at once. And finally, there's the School of Transmutation. This school gives you access to Minor Alchemy, which lets you turn wood to stone, to iron, to copper, to silver, and all of those things into each other. And starting at level 6, you can make a Transmuter Stone. This stone can grant one of four possible benefits to you or a creature that you allow to have the stone, the possible benefits being dark vision out of 60 feet, a 10 foot speed increase, 
proficiency in con saves, or resistance to acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage. Man, uh, Wizard has a lot of options. But that is it! With the exception of the Artificer, that is all the classes. Let's go ahead and move into that outro, and we can get you guys out of here for this week. Goodness, guys, I did not realize how much longer this half was going to be than the first half. But man, I made it through and I feel great. As for you guys, thank you very much for joining me in this little two-parter about all the classes in D&D. I appreciate you listening to the show. I'm thinking maybe next week we'll do an off-topic, like Dominion, for example. I haven't talked about Dominion yet, and it's a game I really enjoy. So, with all that said, if you have any questions or comments for the show, send an email to bardicinquisition at yahoo.com. Also, you can find me at Twitter at bardinquisition. One last reminder, if you want to help out the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash bardicinquisition. But that's all I've got for this week, guys. Until next week, have fun, play games, and don't stop dreaming. 